Hi everyone, we have Dr. Rick Hansen on with us today. I've read many of his books and didn't even realize it until we started talking on the show. He is a psychologist in private practice and he's also an author and has done so many other things that we'll talk about on the show. But I just want to name some of the books. I know some of them are on your shelves too. Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength and Happiness, Hardwiring Happiness, Just One Thing, Buddha's Brain, Mother Nurture, the list goes on and on. So please welcome Dr. Rick Hansen to the show. I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. I'm strong enough to handle what you throw me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sinanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this, intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanto Walker here, host of Mental Health News Radio, and we are doing one of our Be Awesome series with Dr. Christina Hallett. Hey, Christina. Hey, Kristen. As usual, I'm delighted to be here. I'm already smiling. <laughs> I know we started smiling when we first got started. So that's, that's always a great to go right into these shows. And you brought our guest with someone that you really have um, admired and studied for quite some time. So we have Rick Hansen here. The audience has already heard a lot about what you do, Rick, but from us to you, thank you so much for coming on our show. It's really an honor. Uh, I immediately said yes to this, and uh, I'm looking forward to this. I truthfully was so excited, honestly. I have sitting in front of me, just so that you can get the visual, my copy of Buddha's Brain mm -hmm. that you put out, I think, back in 2009. Yep. I also have Resilience in front of me, and I certainly get just one thing and read them all the time. So... <laughs> In so many ways, this is such a pleasure. And this is important to me and our listeners, I think, because one of my goals is to really bring the idea of mental health and wellness to everybody, decreasing the stigma and getting everybody on board on some of the important ways that we can all move towards living our best life. And so who better to talk about that than you? <laughs> well. Probably at least a few people, but <laughs> I'll try not to start. Yeah, <laughs> <You know>? no. <laughs> that sounds like exactly how I would answer that too. Like, ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so, 
I want to throw out one of the things that has been attributed to you, and it's just such a great saying, and I thought maybe this was something that we could jump off our conversation with. And so one of the things I know that you've said is that our brains are like Velcro for bad experiences, Mm -hmm. but Teflon for good ones. Yep. Oh, that's completely true, and I I did say that, and that's a a kind of down-to-earth way of describing what scientists call the brain's negativity bias. So if you want, I'll, I'll just speak, speak, speak a bit about that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's this thing we all know from the inside out that little bad things really land, but little good things just sort of wash on through. And obviously big bad things really land. And that's because as our ancestors evolved and in evolution in really harsh conditions, it was super important for them to remember where the saber-toothed tiger was or what led up to that alpha primate or early Stone Age human uh, getting really angry and violent. What really happened? So nowadays, as we go through the day, we're continually scanning for bad news inside our bodies and minds as well as out in the world. And then as soon as we find it, we super focus on it the brain really reacts to it. And then that whole icky package is fast-tracked into storage. Once burned, twice shy, never forget. And then along the way, unfortunately, as we experience repeated uh, episodes of upset, anger, even trauma, the brain becomes sensitized increasingly to the negative. So it becomes even more Velcro-ish to negative stuff. That's the design plan from Mother Nature. Thanks, mom. Right. (laughs) It's really useful back in the day. And today, even if you're working in a combat zone or growing up in what feels like a combat zone. All right. The negativity bias is helpful. But for most people on most days, it creates a lot of unnecessary suffering uh, and unnecessary conflicts with others. So for me, the takeaway is really twofold. One, don't marinate in the negative. Learn from it as much as you need to, but don't just sit in it because it's going right into your brain. Don't keep ruminating. Don't keep doing laps around the track in hell in your own mind. You know, easier said than done. We'll talk about the how of that, I'm sure. But the other takeaway is when you see authentic good news, really small stuff, you know, ordinary flow of life, a moment of connection with another person, laughing like we were laughing to begin this show. Uh, your cat crawls into your lap. You finally make it to a bathroom, you know, you eat the cookie, uh, you know, you see the flower blooming or, or you feel inside yourself, your grit, your determination, your resilience, or that core of love inside yourself, whatever it might be. When you land on those moments, dwell in them for a breath or longer to help them wire themselves into your own nervous system to compensate for the negativity bias and also increasingly hardwire inner strengths of various kinds into yourself. So then you take them with you wherever you go. I absolutely love that explanation. And I think that it's so helpful. One of the things that I teach people, whether it's in my clinical practice or the coaching, and it's actually, I do a lot of public speaking. So it's part of that Mm -hmm. is I talk about this in terms of celebrating and celebrating the little things. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, hey, I managed to remember to go to the bathroom today. You know, the things that seem so silly to celebrate, but I think Mm -hmm. makes such a big difference because that's a way then for us to keep building them up. And I think that 
we have such a hard time in giving ourselves credit for things. We sort of, I hear people say a lot, well, of course, that's no big deal. Like, yay, you know, I ate lunch. Mm -hmm. Woohoo, I'm supposed to eat lunch. Instead of recognizing that as the opportunity to really switch some of that internal thought process and begin to have this newer, stronger, more positive pathway. I think that's completely true. And I'm really uh, grateful for you to for you that you do that. And I want to build on that and broaden it. So in addition to those times where we would say, hey, slow down and smell the flowers, enjoy the sunset. That's really great. Additionally, what I'm really talking about here is the fundamental process of, of healing and growth. How do mm -hmm. we actually heal and grow, really? And the broader use of these methods that we're talking about here is to look for moments that maybe not are would not seem like things to celebrate particularly. Maybe you realize something in your mind, like, wow, I'm not responsible for my partner's alcoholism. Or you realize, when I was a kid, it wasn't my fault that they did those things in my life. It wasn't my fault. I'm not a bad girl or boy deep down inside myself to the extent that gender distinctions are even relevant. So um, when we have a chance to really learn something, like in my case, I realized, oh, that's how to be a better husband, you know, or, oh, I should <laughs> shift there. You know, one trial learner, as they say in behaviorism. Once you realize yeah. which tunnel has the cheese and which tunnel has the cat, you know, you try to make a choice going forward, right? Those are opportunities as well to let learning land so that when you feel that sense of release or you get that moment of mindfulness or you have a sense of self-compassion or you feel your own good heart, let that sink in too. Not just obviously smelling the roses along the way. Well, absolutely. And that reminds me of one of the sections in resilience. And in the section on confidence, there's something where you talk about standing up to the inner critic. Yeah. And I'm hoping that you can talk a little bit about that because that's also in line with some of the work that I do. And I just think that's one of the tools that is so valuable and allowing us to get into that self-compassion. I'm really glad you said that. Uh, it's funny, as soon as you said that, I visualized, I'm pretty visual, this enormous Simon Legree character with a tall hat, <laughs> a pinched face, looking really mean, just huge, you know, right? And fill in the blank, like Simon Legree, Darth Vader, and Godzilla in one ugly package, I don't know. And then over in the corner is his little fairy godmother character, tiny, 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 your inner nurturer to right. potentially stand up to the inner critic, except that inner nurturer is really small and kind of weak and oh, don't hurt little Ricky. I'm little Ricky, <laughs> don't hurt little Ricky, right? And so right there's the structure of the issue. There's the sense of the, the self, the beleaguered self is like, whoa, the one to whom things happen. And then this inner critic is big and powerful and nasty and mean and scolding and endlessly disappointed and you're never good enough. And then in the corner, the forces inside us that should speak truth to power, inner allies, they're just, they're not developed that much. So the process is really twofold. One, it's to disengage from the inner critic and minimally stop fueling it and stop allying with it, joining with it. In other words, don't be disloyal to yourself. 
it may keep yammering at you because the brain's like Velcro for the bad. And that's the voice of your angry stepfather or coach or fill in the blank, big sister, you know, still yammering at you today. It'll take a while for the inner critic to go away, but minimally quit agreeing with it. Right. Exactly. And right. step two, grow the inner nurturer, grow what I call the caring committee inside through internalizing in the ways we just described, hardwiring into yourself experiences of being authentically included, seen, appreciated, liked or loved just in the flow of life that will build up the inner nurturer, the your inner caring committee. And also uh, repeatedly taking experiences in which you're kind to yourself or encouraging to yourself or guiding yourself, building yourself up in practical ways, you know, down the road of life, uh, like a good coach might, or someone who's kind of firm, hey, quit wandering off the path. I've done a lot of rock climbing. I've had a lot of guides who would say stuff jokingly, but seriously, Rick, quit whining, start climbing. <laughs> you know, there's a place for that, right? But they weren't right. mean, they were encouraging. They were trying to build me up, not tear me down. So in that way, through internalizing experiences that start from the outside in, and also experiences that start from the inside out, there's a path we can take a handful of times minimally every day. We can take a handful of steps down that path every single day of growing the good inside ourselves, which over time will rebalance this sort of inner family system inside your own mind. You know, the critical parent, as it were, in the corner there and the nurturing parent over here, they'll rebalance. And that's a major way to deal with the inner critic over time. You know, one of the ways that I talk to people about this, and it's actually one of my signature talks, is own best friend literally yeah. becoming your own best friend. And so it's worked really well for me and other people that I've worked with. And it's been well received, except recently I had someone literally text me and say, I don't hear from you anymore. Why don't you stop being your own best friend and start contacting me? <laughs> Which truly cracked me up. And I was like, oh, right. And yet here's an example of what am I going to do with that? Because even that little interaction was an opportunity for how was I going to then internally respond? Was I going to give myself a hard time about that? Or was I going to treat myself the way that a loving and caring friend of mine would, which is say, you know, is that someone that you want to be talking to? How do you do you want to be in contact with that person? And how about you recognize, hey, guess what? You're human. You know, you're not in touch with everybody all the time. It doesn't have to be an either or. Right. What's interesting there, Christine, and what you're saying is that you're not just giving yourself a kind of blanket, uh, not very believable you know, blessing or a get out of jail card. You're not just saying, oh, honey, you're wonderful in all ways. Everybody's right. horrible. <laughs> Just don't listen to those idiots, blah, blah. No, you're actually talking with yourself there in a way that's nuanced, you know, that's realistic, that's balanced. And I think that's really helpful to appreciate. It's not just a kind of blanket, uh, oh, you're wonderful, period. But, the, but as we grow this inner caring committee, as it were, these inner nurturers, these that are allies inside ourselves, they, it's, they have uh, authenticity to them. They're credible. You can believe them because they're realistic. Uh, they're not just giving us a blanket pass for everything. They're pointing out correction and how we could do it better, but they're doing it in a way that has encouragement and kindness in it. 
No, there's a there's a funny little um, I guess it's called horse lore, but this is actually true. Um, in the horse community, there's a funny saying about how uh, a lot of women, when they are older and they get their first horse uh, when they're older, a lot of them end up maybe divorcing their spouses because they get so much positive, emotional uh, love and care from their connection with the horse that uh, they're like, well, gosh, I, and it's so nurturing and that's a real thing. So I just thought I would throw that in there. Seriously? Wow. Really? <laughs> yes, really. There is. I, I left you, my horse the other day and I thought about that saying and I went, we had such a great time together. Just in, it's a whole other show to talk about it, but it was so incredible that I went, oh, now I get what that means. Got it. Can I build on that and just say this? <laughs> to me, that's an example of this general idea of building resources inside that are bridges to a better place. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the general idea, what can you do when everything is pretty horrible, let's say, or it's crummy? Um, you can tolerate it every day, but on the whole, it's just not really what you'd wish for another person or wish for yourself. Um, but to move on, we need resources of various kinds. There you're talking about an external resource, uh, the horse, who then helps you grow internal resources yes. through many experiences with the horse that you internalize of feeling all the things you feel, vital, strong, nourished, capable, loved, loved. heard. Yeah, heard, <laughs> seen, horses don't talk back, you know, all the rest of that, right? right? Uh, and then over time, you build up these strengths, these resources, which then help you deal with a challenge in a more effective way. And I find mm -hmm. that enormously hopeful that there are always things we can do to grow resources inside, to deal with inner and outer challenges. You know, that reminds me, I recently saw an article that physicians and mental uh, health care providers in the UK are starting to prescribe time in nature. And I think that that's, to me, a similar kind of example of using something external to increase that inner sense of calm and peace, connection to the world as a whole, and maybe an opportunity to bring in mindfulness. I think that's really lovely. I've spent a lot of time in wilderness. I mean, I alluded in passing to rock climbing. That was a great refuge for me. When I look back on my childhood, I grew up in a intact family and a kind of middle, middle class suburban setting in Los Angeles. And, but I was really quite unhappy for a variety of reasons, many of them having to do with my family. And um, I had two great refuges when I look back on it all as, as a kind of scrawny, nerdy seven-year-old. You know, one was <laughs> nature, like the orange groves and then the hills around our home. Just being out in nature was a huge refuge for me. And another great refuge actually was reading, especially science fiction, mm. kind of a world where if you figured stuff out and you kept trying, you could often save the space station. Absolutely. Who were your favorites? I oh, love science down fiction. that road you know, <laughs> a long way. You really want, um, you know, Heinlein. Uh, oh, you know, yes. Uh, yeah. A number of female authors, uh, Ursula Le Guin, uh, <sighs> goes on and on and on. Um, Anyway, so refuge is really important in nature. But here's the key thing, though. I do want to flag again. 
it's one thing to have experiences, like experiences in nature or experiences with a horse or with a friend who sees you. A key question is, to what extent do those experiences leave lasting beneficial traces behind? Mm -hmm. Because we know the negative experiences of stress, anxiety, irritation, physical pain, those uh, leave traces behind in the brain, physical, physical changes that get wired into us. Well, when a person is having these kind of useful, beneficial experiences, it's really important to turn on the inner recorder, as it were, in your brain to help them really sink in. And as a longtime therapist, coach, mindfulness teacher, and all the rest of that, it's deeply humbling and embarrassing to admit the fact that most of the experiences people have make no difference. They're not healing. They don't produce growth. They're not transformational. They wash through us. They're momentarily nice, but they leave no value behind. And so I've gotten extremely interested in the actual how over the course of a breath or two. Literally, it's quick because the brain is Mm. very quick. But if you don't give it that breath or two, the conversion rate from state to trait you know, from experience to lasting physical change in the nervous system is really, really low. And so it's really important for people to realize that just because you're experiencing something doesn't mean you're learning something, doesn't mean you're actually growing from it in an enduring way. And so it's really important to uh, slow it down. As as you know from my material, I I have a framework for this and there's detail about it, but the essence is really simple. Stay with it for a breath or longer Feel it in your body and focus on what's rewarding about it, what's enjoyable or meaningful. Those three things, any one of which will help, all three together will really help, uh, are, will make your brain record the experience at a, at, a, at a higher level, at a higher density. So stay with it, feel it in your body, focus on what's rewarding about it. And as you do that, you'll receive into yourself the lasting value of, of what you are experiencing in the moment. I know that we talk about this a lot as this idea of savoring a moment. And Mm -hmm. every time that I say savor or think of it, because I'm pretty visual too, I get a picture of a piece of dark chocolate. Mm -hmm. And I go to take this nibble of this piece of dark chocolate. And I don't want to just chew it up and swallow. Mm. I really like it to melt and I yeah. really notice the different sort of, I guess they're layers of flavor. I'm not yeah. a chocolateer. Oh, I have I'm a brother a who's a chocolateer. My but... mom, my mom, my wife. Ah, that was a step. <laughs> chocolate we and red wine. Chocolate and red wine. Bless her soul, no longer. But that's what, <laughs> yeah, my mom, my wife, my mom, my wife is a total junkie. But yeah, chocolate. Yeah, savoring. You're right. Yes. Savor now, some beautiful red wine and some dark chocolate together and it's just blissful that's right that's great i would add to this that there are a lot of important experiences that don't have the sensual quality Mm -hmm. let's say of what we might Mm. think is relevant for savoring which Mm -hmm. is a wonderful method like for example commitment to sobriety Mm. (laughs) as i just talked about red wine okay (laughs) Well, no, that's good. I, I relate, you know. That's um, okay. I had a spiritual teacher who said essentially only people of pleasure shall know the truth. And there's some truth to that. It's also what the Buddha taught, the middle way. Mm, On the yeah, other hand, yeah. you know, if you can't do it in moderation, you can't do it at all. So there. Um, yeah. So commitment to sobriety or what about healthy remorse? Like uh, a moment Ooh. where you realize, whoa, uh, you know, like with 
with a child say, hey, as a grown-up, I'm just being kind of irritated, but wow, that's landing really hard on this kid. Mm. You need to make a correction here. Or, or disenchantment, where you realize that you're in a job or a relationship that is just, this is a tunnel without a lot of cheese in it. You know, yeah. <laughs> and so there, there's that. You want to let that in as well. So, it, so to build on what you're saying, these methods of internalization uh, apply to what we could savor. But I think it's really important to appreciate that there are all these other times, all these other experiences, spiritual insights, like into the radical transience of experience from, a, say, a mindfulness perspective. Mm -hmm. um, those kind of opportunities for healing and growth are not always the kind of thing we would think about savoring, mm. but just because they're not the kind of thing we would think about for savoring, they're still really, really useful to internalize. You know, yeah. I wanted to ask you about something yeah. uh, related to a recent conversation I had with someone. And so I was talking to a friend of mine who often tends to look at the world from a pretty negative place. Mm -hmm. all sorts of reasons why. And as we were having this conversation and we were talking about negativity bias and mm -hmm. what this means and the idea of how do you bring in more positive, what I had suggested was that I thought that she was looking at her experiences as either negative or positive and sort of discounting all of the neutral, mm -hmm. so to speak, average and everyday activities of life. And I suggested that if she thought of her positive bucket as also containing all of the neutral, mm. that suddenly that balance, if you're thinking of it on a scale, that, that one side method. would be much heavier than the negative. So yeah, I just wondered what you mm. thought about that. I think that's a really, really great method. And um, even the visual of a bucket, right? Yeah. Um, there's this huge bucket and what are you filling with? And you may, you probably know this stud, these studies, but most people, if you ping them randomly over the course of a day on their phone, and basically you ask them in this moment, would you describe your state of being as negative, neutral, or positive, right? Just boom, right now. Yeah. Um, most people will say it's neutral to positive with the occasional mm -hmm. ick rolling through. <laughs> and if that's true, then you're right. That positive or neutral bucket is going to be enormous. And it starts to shift the way you think about your day. You know, when you realize, yeah, the negative is maybe the size of a thimble, the positive to neutral bucket is like 10 gallons. Uh, all right, maybe I can see my life in a different kind of way. That's a really great method. Thanks. We, so we had Dr. Kristen Neff, who had joined us on one of our shows, and we were talking about self-compassion yeah. and and as well, as you mentioned earlier, the accountability factor in that, right? That it isn't just fluff and rainbows and, oh, poor <laughs> me kind of thing. But, you know, like, I'm great no matter what. But this really more, what I think of as genuine and authentic way of looking at a situation and giving yourself the credit, respect, and dignity that you would to another human being. How do you call that accountability? What oh, that? yes. <laughs> I was started. My thoughts actually went to another place. And I got, <laughs> oh, okay. I got lost. Halfway through that. That's perfect. Yes, <laughs> I know. So because I was literally thinking about one of your uh, recent articles on the us uh, and thems. <laughs> That's where I, I drifted. Oh, okay. 
So we'll get there. But the accountability piece in terms of like, yeah, let me go back to what I was actually thinking uh, yeah. in terms of being able to literally look at a situation and instead of seeing it as all negative or all positive, own the parts that didn't go in a way that what I think of as isn't sort of in accordance with who you want to be when you're living your best life and understanding that that's humans make mistakes, that there is this uh, inability actually for there to be perfection. So owning where things have perhaps not gone the way that you wanted them to, whether it's your internal talk or your external behavior, and as well, being willing to give yourself the sense of ease in that it's an opportunity to learn, you can do something different, you could choose to make amends, that, that you've got a lot of options in how you deal with that situation. And sort of looking at that as this greater uh, means to enjoy self-compassion. I think that's really deep, and you're describing, mm -hmm. I think, uh, what Kristen and, and also Chris Germer, you know, are teaching partners yes. about self-compassion. Yep. Yeah, they would speak of as common humanity, the right. recognition that, right, we all mess up. Uh, I think of the teaching from the New Testament, you know, let let someone who is without sin cast the first stone. I mean, we're all, <laughs> yeah, right, we're all works in progress, right? Uh, and uh, I think the other side of it is to, to me, what I hear and what you say that you're emphasizing goes back to that word accountability, that we have power inside our own minds, right. right? We have that power in terms of how do we look at things and what is our relationship with them? And then, and how do we buck ourselves up? How do we lift ourselves up? How do we encourage ourselves? How do we uh, collapse when we need to collapse for a while to just, whew, recover from the shock of what happened, but then pull it together and stand up. And what's the word? Brene Brown speaks of rising strong. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then we lean in and we, we take it from there and, and we learn as we go. Uh, so I, I think that's a really uh, both to me, tough minded piece of teaching that gives it credibility and also enormously hopeful because it says that in any moment, we can be on our own side and we can learn and, um, you know, yeah. gain from the experience. And then every day, every hour, get a little better, right? Get a little wiser, get like, a little keep less practicing. Jerk. Please try. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a funny little story from yesterday on this. Um, and please, listeners, <laughs> you know me, I'm not preaching at all when I say this. Okay. So I, my listeners have been around a long time, so um, they know when, when I'm prefacing something, it's important. <laughs> so I am not saying that eating sugar is a bad thing at all. Okay. So not, but this has to do with me eating sugar. Okay. So I just don't, I don't eat a lot of it. I don't really have a sweet tooth um, anymore. And uh, there are a lot of reasons why I don't, but uh, I just don't. Right. But on Sunday, I, um, I spent my whole weekend with my horses. So I was just blissed out to some sort of other stratosphere all weekend because of that. And I was like, you know, I want to, I really have not had any sort of cakey, sugary type of thing. Maybe I want to go to an international house of pancakes. Like I, I really want to indulge myself. So I went to this donut shop and I got a donut and I ate two of them and it was the, it was like, I literally took 
a funnel and shoved it down my throat and then poured a cup of refined sugar (laughs) into my body. Right. And, you know, when you don't eat it a lot, like it has, you notice the effects that it has on you than if you eat it all the time. So I didn't, I didn't think about that at all. I go throughout the rest of my day and suddenly I'm just crankier and, and crankier and crankier. And then yesterday I was on full on crank mode. Like everybody I talked to irritated me. I went to places in my head about, well, that person seemed awfully entitled, which that's an old me. And, you know, listeners already know the stories as to why my life was that way. But that's not really, that's not my home anymore. That's not my 80% of time anymore. That's just a place I visit. So I really notice it. And um, it was, what was nice about it though, was A, I've been doing what you both are talking about enough to where I have enough awareness to notice that I'm not behaving how I typically behave now. This is not my normal and to go, well, what was the thing that made it like, what, what trying to figure out like a detective, what was different about the last couple of days that would make me be such a grumpy ass, you know? So, so I went, Oh, that's right. I literally drank like two cups of refined sugar. That's fascinating. And the other great thing though, is because you do this work that you guys are talking about and you make these changes about how you speak to yourself inside your own head. And you also develop as on that journey, these friends that also speak to you in loving and compassionate ways. Even if you didn't grow up with any of that, you can develop it as an adult. So I could easily call people or email people that I love and not dump. This was not a ranch. I ate sugar. Let me dump my problems on you. So now you feel bad too. It was just a, Hey, I feel really off. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And have such lovely friends be like, you know, yes. On those two things that you bring up, we think that that was probably the sugar talking this other one though. I think you need to listen to your gut and, and do it in such a loving way that I didn't feel ashamed. I did it. We laughed about it and they're like, well, don't call us if you're going to ever eat a donut again. And we can laugh about it, you know? So I, it's a simplistic story, but I, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was interesting um, that I, you know, that I went through that and was like, okay, okay. Got it. This is why sugar is not in my house. (laughs) What do you think helps people grow? in this life because that's what you're really talking about you had an Mm -hmm. experience you learned from it so we learned useless things like the multiplication tables no not totally useless (laughs) but then counting on my fingers is very useful (laughs) yeah yeah exactly but then there are things that are really really useful like social intelligence emotional intelligence Mm. healing growth okay so what do you think helps people grow that they can do inside their own minds to maximize their growth from opportunities like the one you described. Oh my gosh. Oh, that is such a journey. I mean, I, mine is a journey. Christina, you go with that one first. <laughs> uh, inside their own minds. What can people okay, do yeah. inside their own minds? I'm, inside their own mind. I have a question about that. Uh, that I want to ask, but Christina, you, you take the floor first, please on that one. So every time 
I think about something like that, what I do in my own mind is hold that experience, what I think of as sort of in the neutral place, Mm -hmm. and then say, what is it that I can learn, grow, or do differently from this? Like there's information here, and how can I take this as information and alter the trajectory or the potential for repetition in this Mm -hmm. and do it without guilt or blame or shame? Because I don't think any of those, maybe, maybe, I know Brené Brown says that there's some a piece of healthy guilt. I'm sort of on the fence about that. Um, I think of it a little differently. But certainly shame and blame don't seem like, to my mind, they do an awful lot for us other than keep us facing backwards and sort of getting stuck in the mud. And so I like to think about an experience that hasn't gone well in terms of saying, okay, so I've done that. Now, what are the different, what else can I do differently? Or who can I access to help me think about it differently? Maybe relying upon a connection to someone else, but being willing to look at myself from this caring place that owns the behavior and looks to see what choice and actions I can do differently. Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, For one thing I thought of while you were talking about that is um, for me, I think uh, there's many things, of course, that have helped me in my own mind. Um, A big thing for me has been as an adult to allow myself to be really angry and upset about things that um, happened in my childhood that I had no control over because I was a kid. Um, and I wasn't allowed to be upset and angry or grieve or anything about those things at the time for a lot of reasons that, you know, I've talked about in other shows, Mm -hmm. the freedom to be able to do that and, uh, be embarrassed maybe even about it or feel ashamed about feeling ashamed or what, just to have the full expression of sadness, absolute anger, all these things that I wasn't allowed to do as an adult, um, in the presence of a wonderful therapist and amongst my friends and so on, um, that has been such a gift for me to feel my feelings and to be aware of what is goes on in my mind, to be conscious of what I think and to be able to notice things in order to have this reflection about the sugar or even to stop the rumination of negativity. Um, all, you know, we, we have such a, oh, just get over it society or, and and I think, oh gosh, it's such a disservice. Yes. Of course you don't want to whine forever or be angry forever because that's not healthy either. But if you've never been allowed to really process Mm. what you actually feel about things that happen to you, um, then you don't have the ability to notice what you're thinking or what you're doing. There's no room in there to do that. So that's been a, a big thing for me. I really appreciate you saying those things. And um, I have a similar kind of process, I would say, I, where you start by really having, really feeling it, whatever is there. Mm-hmm. And um, then at some point there's a rhythm it feels that feels authentic and okay that I can let go. 
yes. my life and feeling it now and I can shift into releasing. I can yes. let go. Yeah, in various kinds, tension out of the body, emotions flowing, you know, beliefs, let those beliefs go. And then for me, there's this really critically important point where, all right, all right, all right, I've kind of cleared the decks through releasing. <laughs> and then it's yeah. time to let in, time to let in. Okay, what yeah. can take away from here? And especially for me, at least, the to let in a body state, not mm. just an idea. It's really important mm -hmm. to let ideas land, but to really, what's the felt sense of this? You know, to use the term from, you know, from focusing, uh, yep. the felt sense. What's the felt sense of this new way of being that I want to help establish itself in me? Yes. So that increasingly oh, yeah. I'm there already. You know, it's that transition I said earlier from state to trait, right? To help it mm -hmm. sink in. And that rhythm summarized as let be, let go, let in is one that I, I know well. <laughs> and it has yeah. kind of an upward spiral <laughs> too, because as you let in resources, you can afford to feel your feelings even more deeply yes. down to the real horror show underneath it all, let's say. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Upward and upward. Yeah. It, you know, one of the things I find when I'm doing that process is, and I'm really feeling my feelings, at some point I sort of get bored with them. Right. Uh, and that sort of moves into my letting go. Like, because yeah. I'm I'm perfectly happy. Happy isn't the right word perfectly okay with having the range of feelings that I have about a situation, particularly yeah. if I feel like I've screwed something up or I'm feeling hurt or sad, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, I literally, and I think this is one of the habits that I've developed just through my own work and working with other people and learning from others over the years, is then I just sort of like, okay, yeah, like, yeah, I'm done. Meh. <laughs> this is sort of boring now. Like I, I love that. Meh. Isn't that yeah. such a great word, right. Christina? Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, <laughs> meh. Okay. You know, like I, and that's, I think the place where I really end up feeling as if there's this choice mm -hmm. um, where I can sort of say, I, and am aware that I can either stick with this and stay there. Like, you know, do I want another 24 hours to wallow or do I want to go in a different direction? And it, this may sound somewhat simplistic, but I have a real preference for fun. I really love to laugh and I love to <laughs> smile. That's why Kristen and I joke about this all the time because this is our like smile time. And so one of the things I end up saying to myself is, well, hmm, how would I rather feel? And I know I already have the awareness that I would rather have fun and move towards that state, even if I'm not able to get there right then, because it certainly don't jump from, let's say, being hurt about something and upset to then, oh, yay, super fun. Right. But I'm aware that that's an option, that that's a place that I can get to and that there's a process of things that can uh, steps that I can take to move closer to that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of underscore it, you're you're speaking to first needing to be authentic. One mm -hmm. thing I learned uh, was that uh, for quite a while I did not want to feel my feelings because they hurt. So, yeah. Yeah. And but I had to learn that no, if you jump too soon to letting go and letting in, uh, it doesn't have traction. You've got to mm -hmm. you've got to earn it. You've got to yep. you got to pay your dues. At least if uh, only a little bit, I felt like I emptied my own bucket of tears, a spoonful of it at a time. But it was a <laughs> spoonful that was real. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one part. Authentic. The other part is freedom. 
that you do mm. have the freedom inside yourself when you are at that that moment, that place where, hey, I got it, meh, or I got it, or this is enough, or I need to disengage now. You know, I've I've touched it and it's too hot and I need to just kind of pull out and go for a ride on my horse or something. You have the freedom to do that. You can do that when you have the right to do that. Uh, and you, but only you can claim that power, right? That's interesting, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so funny too, because when you're someone who naturally is a, a caregiver, okay, and I'm not saying that's better than not being a caregiver, but there are people that just, they naturally go in that direction. And of course, I'm one of those people uh, to just took it to the level of like extreme codependency <laughs> and, and dialed it backwards as I got older. But, um, you know, when you do that, like I, I, I finally would get to a point, and this is having great friends too, that would say, uh, you know, I, Kristen and my ex-husband says this all the time and he's my best friend ever. And he, he'll go, Chris, I just, you're such a fighter and so caring for everybody else. People can come lay on you and sob and, you know, you, you're just there. And then you're so mean to yourself. It hurts my feelings to hear you talking about this person. I have loved for 32 years, the way that you talk. And I, it made me go, Oh my God, how caring am I really? Then I had to really look at that and go, what am I doing all this caring of others for? Was that really about, I had to even examine it in, in that way too, because if I don't, practice caring for myself, then I really don't have these great tools of caring for anyone else. So what was that all about? I had to really examine that also. But, um, you know, now I, I really work hard at being very conscious about stop talking to yourself like that. You, uh, you did do this good thing. And so we're going to just forget the crappy thing you told yourself a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kristen, we've been talking about that's part of being awesome, right? That's part of sort of the message I think that we've been trying to send is this idea of what I call radical self-care. Mm. And that means owning your strengths and setting limits and actually prioritizing taking care of yourself and not sort of emptying your bucket out for everyone else, but really doing the things that you need to do. And uh, one of the things that we heard recently uh, was this idea of looking at the word imperfect and understanding that imperfect equals sign I'm perfect and holding both of those together at the same time, mm. you know, and, and marrying that with this idea that we're the only people who are responsible for our thoughts, feelings, and actions. Like as much as we want to wish at times that we could control <laughs> anybody else on the face of the earth, nobody's making us think, feel, or do anything. And we're not making anybody else think, feel, or do anything. Right. But once we look at, at ourselves and say, yeah, you know, I'm the one who's responsible for how I think, feel, and act. That's that sense, which I think you're talking about, Rick, in terms of there's so much power and empowerment and freedom in that. I think it's kind of tricky here and see what you think about this, because uh, in, in, in any moment, what we experience is the result of so many factors, so many mm -hmm. causes, including reaching into our childhood 
And yeah. if you think about it, generationally, our parents, 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 and throw in culture and economics. So I'm a little, I think in a funny way, we're not responsible in this moment entirely for what we're experiencing, no. yeah. but we are yeah. responsible, yeah, for what we do with it. Right. Say that because right. I, yeah, I, I know yes. you agree with me about that. Yeah, because people are still haunted, understandably, by the lasting yes. impacts of the injuries they experienced, let's say, even in childhood. So, okay, all that's uh, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely agree that, but, that who we are in any moment is this culmination of everything that has gone on for us and generationally and societally and and and. And then we get, then then it's our opportunity to do something about it. And I, I'm thinking here about that. This saying uh, from a Tibetan teacher, a couple thousand, probably about a thousand years ago, uh, who was described, who who was asked at the end of his life, you know, what he made of it, and he was enlightened and and really had made enormous contributions. And he said, well, in the beginning of my life of practice, nothing came. In other words, he wasn't able to really experience anything of any use. In the beginning, nothing came. In the middle, nothing stayed. And by the end, nothing left. Oh. That's so beautiful, right? That's what that is talking. so beautiful. And it's hopeful. And you could apply that to the life of practice altogether. You can also apply it to particular issues like our reactions to, let's say, authority figures or being on a bridge. <laughs> Anything like that, you know, something in particular. Uh, Kristen, you're yeah. laughing because you're trying not to talk about politics, right? Well, oh, oh I, 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 no, I, I wasn't going there, but that said, you know, you know, the easy thing is to get something to come. It's easy to experience things, basically, yeah. unless you're profoundly depressed or in excruciating yeah. physical pain. Generally speaking, when you when you eat the donut, you know, it's momentarily pleasing or you're, you ride the horse. It's a you nice. You can remember me as the donut lady. <laughs> I remember you as the donut, not the hole. But anyway, um, but the thing is, how do we help it last? How do we help it uh, stay? Yeah. That's where we go into what's, you know, fancy stuff, experience dependent neuroplasticity. How do you help your brain stay? And, you know, I, I, yeah. I do these online programs, so you may know them because um, I think they're wonderful, easy ways for people to do practice again and again, you know, over the course of a breath or a minute or 10 minutes, where you just kind of marinate in what you want to grow in yourself, who you want to mm. become. Mm. And I, I have this kind of model, you may know it, that relates to the three-stage evolution of the brain, you know, the brainstem, subcortex, cortex, the inner reptile, mammal, and primate human, or the inner lizard, mouse, and monkey. And, um, Quick sidebar, uh, you know, I'm a transcendentalist. I think there are profundities and eternities that are distinct from the ordinary universe. That said, clearly there's biological evolution and we are gifted, frankly, by three and a half billion plus years of life. It seems clear to me. So all that said, if you think about what do you want to establish in yourself as your core of being, what I call the mm. unshakable core, I think mm -hmm. again and again, um, just to say this in a practical way, people have opportunities throughout the day to feel safe enough or satisfied enough or connected enough in that imperfect moment. Maybe there's something else happening, but in the core of your being, you know you're not dying, you're not, no saber-toothed tigers attacking, mm -hmm. 
So you have the opportunity to feel, uh, in a word, some sense of peace. Same thing with, you could feel satisfied enough. Yeah, it'd be nice to have another shiny car or another five-star review on Amazon for your book. It's even your core. <laughs> or another you saddle feel, for my horse. Anyway, Another keep... saddle for your horse, an even better <laughs> saddle. Hey, my dad was born on a ranch in North Dakota. He was a cowboy for a long time. Oh, cool. Born in 1918, yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. we have chances to feel contented already. Yeah. And then last, obviously, when you have a chance to feel connected enough, even if you know your partner drives you crazy or <laughs> the neighbors are playing music too loudly or whatever, in your core, you can feel loved enough and loving enough already. So peace, contentment, and love. Um, you know, those opportunities every day usually present themselves and they're so important to take in to take in that good. So you build up that core inside of peace, contentment, and love, which becomes where you stand as the challenges and the waves of life come at you. I want to do 12 more shows with you. I literally just thought of three other. (laughs) (laughs) See, I told you this is going to be phenomenal. That's That's kind. Thank you. It's true. (laughs) Well, you can tell too. That's why I love doing this. It's why I'm so grateful. I don't know. I don't, it was divinely led to, for me to do podcasting because when I started doing it, I don't know how long you've been doing your show, Rick, but I've been doing mine. Um, I have this networks only two years old, but I was doing my show back when people were like, what's a podcast. Mm -hmm. Well, no, you're, I'm a newbie. I'm about a year into it. Okay. Well, I love it so much because it's one of those spaces where I'm so, I'm totally, I'm not thinking any other thoughts except about this experience right now. I get to be in the zone with everyone that I do. So people are like, why do you do so many? Why do you do a show a day or two shows a day or whatever? And I'm like, because it's like crack. I want to be in the moment (laughs) as much as possible. I'm finding other ways to do that. But anyway, I'm going off on a whole other tangent. Rick, please. Probably more wholesome than a giant donut. (laughs) (laughs) Or two. (laughs) So true. But um, please tell our listeners where they can find out more about you. And I know they can get your books on Amazon, especially the, the latest one, Resilient. But please tell our listeners, you know, where they can find all about you. Oh, thank you. Well, the simplest way is just uh, search on my name, Rick Hansen, H-A-N-S-O-N, or go to my website, which is rickhanson.net. And there you'll find tons of freely offered wonderful things, videos, talks, um, little things I've written, chance to sign up for my free newsletter. I also have online programs offered there. One of the neatest ones is called the Foundations of Wellbeing. It Mm -hmm. basically is a very structured opportunity. If you want to do it over the course of a year, it's a full, thorough journey of personal healing and transformation. takes about an hour a week. Uh, It's inexpensive. We have credits on it for therapists and nurses. Uh, We have scholarships for for people who just can't afford it. Uh, So it's a really nice thing to check out. And you can find all that, like I said, at rickhanson.net. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I know, Christina, you're going to want to say your own thank you because you're the one who found our gem, Rick Hanson. Uh, Yes. (laughs)
thank you so much for your generosity in joining us. And I really just want to underscore how helpful I think all of your materials are. Really, people, you offer so much freely and your courses are very reasonable and super helpful. So when I think about this, there's just so much that you're putting out there that can really help people to make a difference in their lives. And as we make a difference in our own lives, we also make a difference in the world. And that's fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. X a lot, times a lot. Thank you very, very, very. To infinity and beyond. And of course, to our listeners, thank you so much for hanging out with us for all this time. We absolutely appreciate the ones that have been here forever and the ones that are new. We love you. And thanks for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio on our Be Awesome series with Dr. Christina Hallett. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all, we promised we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.